Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. All right, we'll turn your Bibles to Hebrews. I'm starting a new series. And uh, they put new batteries in my microphone. They said I should be good for seven hours. I'll probably, I probably won't do that. We won't go through all of Hebrews tonight. It might take seven parts, but we're going to start. I'm going to try to get through the first two chapters tonight, and um, I won't try to go through all 13 chapters t- today, but, um, but I've got the power. You never know. Um, and this is awesome. So Hebrews, my, my title for this, for this entire series is that Jesus makes everything better. And that is such a true statement, and um, Jesus makes everything better. And we see that all throughout the book of Hebrews, that Jesus makes everything better. Don't try to take Jesus out of anything in your life. He makes everything better. Hebrews 8, 6 says, now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. I was just thinking about the excellency of Jesus. I'm going to kind of talk about that as we go through the first chapter, starting in the first chapter, just the excellency of Jesus He's obtained a more excellent ministry in as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant. He's that mediator. He's the great high priest. He's the one who, who stands in the gap for us to ensure that this covenant is, is valid for us today. He's the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. All the promises get better and better with Jesus. It's all about him. He makes everything better. So always make sure he's at the center of everything in your life. Invite him to every aspect of your life. Everything's better with him. With Jesus, your relationships are going to be better. Your job's going to be better. Your sense of purpose is going to be better. Your marriage will be better. Jesus makes everything. Man, your church is so much better with Jesus. Stay focused on Jesus. Keep the focus on him. Don't get distracted. You know, just Tuesday, yesterday, yesterday it was Tuesday. There's so much that happens. I forget what, it feels like a long time. Yesterday I was preaching with my dad, filming for our television program, Grace for Today. And he had this word, the good but not God. Good but not God. Don't get distracted. Keep the focus on Jesus. And I was just thinking about that just kind of, I'm just marinating on that word that my dad had, good but not God. It brought remembrance to me the story of Martha and Mary. You can turn there really quick. Luke 10, we'll start in verse 38. So go to Luke 10, verse 38. Good but not God. This is a word for the church. This is a word for many individuals, myself included here tonight. Keep the main thing, the main Thing. Verse 38, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. She just sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted. Say, she was distracted. And she wasn't distracted by bad things. She wasn't distracted by unnecessary things. She wasn't distracted by evil things. She was, she was distracted by good things. Good, but not God. She was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care? She's mad at Jesus now. Something's wrong when you're mad at Jesus, when you're mad at people who are in love with Jesus 
Lord, do you not care? He cares more than you know, Martha. Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, Jesus, tell her to help me. She's commanding Jesus now. This might be a good um, example for uh, uh, breaking Satan's power, the power of offense. Martha sounds like someone who's offended and kind of missing the bigger picture. Jesus, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing, one thing is needed. It's all about priorities. Don't be distressed. Some things you might feel that's your calling, feel that's your purpose, feel that it might be a good thing, but it might be out of whack priority-wise. And how to tell if your priorities are out of whack? Are you, are you easily offended? Are you mad at God? Are you telling God to go fix people who really aren't the problem? Maybe you should be looking in the mirror. Martha, Martha, you are t- worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. This is the priority. And Martha, Mary has chosen. It's a choice. You can choose that good part, the better part. And this will not be taken away from her. It can't be. There are certain things that cannot be taken away. Good things, good but not God can be taken away. It's not going to stand the test of eternity. But Mary, what she was doing would stand the test of eternity. She was sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing his word. That was, that was God in that moment. Don't be distracted. Stay focused on Jesus. It's all about him. Amen? And, and, and I'm not saying don't stop serving here at the church. You know, if you get a planning center request, hit accept. Our, our leader of volunteers said amen. But Martha was serving, but she missed the whole point. The whole point was Jesus. You know, if, I, if I'm up here preaching and I'm missing the whole point, it doesn't really matter. The whole point is Jesus. So, Everything that we need, that we do, it all needs to be directed towards him. It needs to all be about him, whether it be preaching or raising your family or going out in the community, sharing the gospel. It all has to be about Jesus. Don't get distracted with things that are just good but not God. Amen? All right, let's go on here to Hebrews 1. Let's read the first few verses here. Hebrews chapter 1. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. I love that, in these last days. We are still in these last days. And guess what? Jesus is still speaking today. Jesus was speaking when this writer was writing to the Hebrews. In in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. I love that he's just going straight to, straight after it. Jesus is the creator of all worlds. He's the creator of the universe. Every single planet, every single star, every single solar system, trillions upon trillions of, of, of stars that keeps expanding. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. I was talking to someone recently who believed in God, but they weren't so sure about Jesus. 
if he was God or not. And, um, you know, um, Art was leading worship tonight. Right before worship, he, he texted me and asked, can we add holy, holy, holy to the worship? So I said, absolutely, yes. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus is Lord of all. He made, made the world to being the brightness of his glory. This is talking about the Father. He is the very brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This means if you're looking at Jesus, you are looking at the Father. You cannot separate the Son from the Father. The only way to truly know the Father is to know his Son, Jesus. He is the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself, by himself. He did not need your help. By himself purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is absolutely supreme. That is my first point tonight. He is absolutely supreme. He is absolutely excellent in all his ways. He is perfect. He is God. There is no shadow in him. He is perfectly bright, perfectly holy, perfectly glorious. He is the express image of the Father. And by himself, I love that. He is absolutely supreme. And I just kept hearing this today as I was studying this, working on this message, just the excellency of Jesus, the excellency of his name. He is so excellent in all of his ways, just perfect beyond we can imagine, just completely excellent. Just every, every title that we could give him, he deserves, we can't even give him a title. Supreme, omnipotent, glorious, excellent, majestic, beautiful, just Jesus. There's, there's no word in any human language that can possibly give him the glory that's due his name. And I love, I love what goes on here in verse 4. He's absolutely supreme, and he is better than anything else. He is better than the angels. I love that the rest of this chapter is devoted to just talk about how much better Jesus is than any angelic being in the universe. You know, for, for I remember when I was younger, um, culturally people kind of like really liked angels. Like there were a lot of movies about angels. There were um, TV shows about angels. Not so much today due to the degradation of our society. But when I was a kid, I remember, you know, my mom loved to watch Touched by an Angel. And, you know, at the end of the show, the, the light would shine on these women, and, and it was revealed that they were angels. And, you know, when I was a kid, I loved playing baseball, and I loved the movie Angels in the Outfield. And there's these angelic creatures helping these terrible players. I wish there'd be some angels, you know, in Denver helping the Broncos once in a while. I know, I know there's some international people here who really love soccer, who love, you know, football is what they call it everywhere else except in America. But uh, in Colorado, we, if we want to see a bunch of guys run around and not score points, we can just go watch the Broncos. 
They used to be good. Colorado needs to repent and turn away from their wickedness. And maybe the Broncos would win. We're going to do our part. Verse 4, Jesus has become so much better. I love that. So much better than the angels. So much better as he has by inheritance, I love that, by inheritance, obtained a more excellent name than they, them. By inheritance. He, he, he has this name. He has this excellence. He has this glory because of his relationship. That inheritance is through his relationship to the Father. And I was just thinking about this psalm. It's quoted later on in chapter 2. A few verses from Psalm 8 are quoted later in Psalm in Hebrews 2, but I want to quote the first part of Psalm 8 here, speaking about the excellency of Jesus. I believe all of Psalm 8 is a messianic psalm, a psalm describing Jesus, and Jesus knew this, and this is one reason why he quotes this psalm himself in his ministry. Psalm 8, verse 1 and 2, O Lord, our Lord, Yahweh, Adonai, our Lord, whom we serve. How excellent is your name in all the earth. This is talking about Jesus. This is talking about our Messiah. How excellent is your name in all the earth, who has set your glory above the heavens. His glory is above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. Any any. It doesn't matter what mouth here on the earth declares his name, declares his excellency, declares his glory. It could be the mouth of a babe. It could be the mouth of a suckling. It could be the mouth of a child. He is ordained strength. Because of your enemies, there are enemies, but when we declare his name, when we sing of his glory, just worship him, high things are brought down, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Don't be surprised if you start seeing dragons falling from the sky, lies and deceptions and strongholds just falling down. Just keep exalting His Excellency, the name that is above every other name. You don't have to worry about the names of transgenderism, about Marxism, about socialism, about about Man, just, just keep exalting the name of Jesus, and lies must come down. These strongholds will be broken. How, how excellent is your name in all the earth. There's not a single place on the earth where his name is not excellent. His name is not beautiful. His name is not above every other thing. He has a more excellent name than any created thing, than even the angels. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Jesus is the best. He is the only begotten. The only begotten. Whenever you see that word in the New Testament, the only begotten, in the Greek it's monogenes. Mono, one, genes. Genes. 
There is no one like him. John 1, 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten. Monogenes, the only begotten of the Father. Spiritually, his, his DNA, his genetic spiritual makeup was the exact same as the Father. And he chose to put that in flesh and blood. And in Hebrews, the the writer talks about why that monogenous, why the only begotten Son of God took the form of a man. He was the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is the express image of his person. There is no one like him. He is the only begotten of the Father. And again, verse 5, and again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, I love it, in the, in the, the nativity story, all the angels were excited to come and worship Jesus. Come and worship the only begotten of the Father. They worshiped him in heaven. Now they got to worship him here on earth in flesh and blood. They were so excited. I was was talking to my son Fisher in the car about Jesus and about heaven. He's asking about just what what is heaven like? What are we going to look like in heaven? Is Is it a real place? Is it just a you know, we, we've talked about what the spirit is and, and, and um, what, what our body. I said, no, heaven, where we're going to dwell forever, it, it will be tangible. I said, Jesus Christ is there. Jesus, when he died, God raised him up. The Father raised him up. He walked on this earth in flesh and blood. And, and then when he ascended up to heaven, he ascended up to heaven in bodily form. When we get to heaven, we will be able to see the body of Jesus. He still has those scars in his hands. You won't have any scars. Maybe you crashed your bike when you were a kid. Maybe you, you, you won't have any scars. You won't have any tears. You won't have any pain. You will have, have a tangible body, a body that can live for a glorified body. The body that Jesus had when he got out of the grave was a glorified, tangible body. Thomas could touch and feel it. He has a glorified, tangible body in heaven today. You will be given a, a glorified, tangible body. It will not be this body which can decay. You will be given a tangible body. You will be able to eat tangible food. I don't, I don't know what kind of matter... Your body will be composed of, but it will not decay. It will not break down. It will not get sick. It will not be tired. It won't be weary. Jesus, when he was born and before he was crucified, he he could get tired. He could get hungry. He could get, but in his glorified body, when he walked on this earth before he ascended, he he didn't get tired. He didn't get get weary. I don't think he even got hungry. He cooked for his disciples, I know. Fish on the shore. Maybe he ate them. Maybe he's like, I'm just going to wait for a better meal with my father. I've had fish from the Sea of Galilee. It's not that great. 
He has a tangible body. You, heaven has, has a tangi- tangibility. It's not just this idea. It, it is a reality. And I, I don't know what the matter will be like. I know that the matter here on earth will one day be rolled up like a scroll. But the matter in heaven, a, a nuclear bomb cannot blow up heaven. It cannot rip the atoms of heaven apart. I love this, verse 7. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This is, this is another messianic psalm. A prophetic psalm, a psalm about Jesus. Your throne, O Jesus, O God. Is forever and ever. I love this. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Jesus is supremely righteous. There is not a single lie that can stand in his presence. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Jesus hates lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Righteousness always leads to gladness. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. There are more miserable people on earth today than ever before. There is more depression on earth today than ever before. There is more brokenness, hopelessness, despair than ever before. But happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Righteousness leads to gladness. Verse 10, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. This is talking about Jesus. He was with the Father in the beginning. The only begotten Son of the Father. He was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. You laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. This heaven, this earth will not be here for eternity. And the more I'm here, the more I'm glad that there's going to be something better for eternity. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all grow old like a garment. This planet is going to go out of style. My wife, her garments change pretty quickly. I don't know how, how quickly this garment of this heaven, this earth that we see and experience today will be in style, but I'm thinking it's not going to remain too much longer. They all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up. They will be changed, and you are the same, and your years will not fail. You are forever. Verse 13, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? That is awesome. Every enemy to Jesus, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, everything that is, every thought that is not in obedience to Jesus 
Christ will be brought down. Every enemy will be turned into a footstool. What is a footstool? It's like an ottoman. What are good ottomans made out of? What are good furniture pieces made out of? Leather. He's going he's gonna to destroy the enemies of Jesus. He's going to tan their hides, quite literally turn them into footstools, into ottomans. You know, my dad, my dad is into boots. I've been getting into Western boots myself. You better be careful what kind of creature, you know, various creatures. If you upset a cowboy, they'll turn, they, they turn various monsters into footwear. Footstools, footwear. I've seen rattlesnake boots. I've seen python boots. I've seen shark boots. I got on ostrich boots. Ostr- they're, they're mean birds. But they make a nice pair of boots. You know, God spoke to the serpent in the garden. This is actually the first time the gospel was preached. God preached the gospel to the serpent. This this scripture is called the Proto-Evangelismo. I don't know. It's some, if you're into very theological kind of words, you can look it up. But it's the first time, the first verse the gospel is preached, and God spoke it to the serpent and said, watch out, devil. Jesus is going to turn you into a pair of boots. <laughs> Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. He shall crush your head. I haven't even seen boots that they've, they've taken um, crocodile. And they take the head of the crocodile and turn it into a boot. And it looks like monster, like horns are coming out of these boots. He will crush your head. You shall bruise his heel. It's mean, you're going to, he will be crucified. That'll be your work, but I'm going to bring him up, and you better watch out. He's going to turn you into a pair of boots. And not only that, Jesus isn't the only one that gets to wear serpent boots that gets to crush the devil's head. Paul writes this in Romans 16, verse 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. God is going to give you some some authority over the enemy. Don't be surprised when you use his name, when you exalt his name, when you pray in his name, when you see demons fall. He's going to crush Satan under your feet feet shortly. You can turn about any monster into a pair of boots. Crocodiles, alligators. We were talking about, yesterday we were filming about Joseph. And and what were we talking about? Being in denial. I don't know what we're saying, but I said, I saw there, there, there are denial crocodile boots, denial alligator boots. 
Joseph would know about denial because he was in Egypt. Uh, it's, it's your dad joke for the night. Denial. The Nile. Some of you didn't get it. You apparently didn't have a dad like me, who was just an expert in, wasn't just a great flute player and a great preacher, but a great joke teller as well. All right, let's get back here. Verse 14, Hebrews 1.14. I love, I love this verse because it talks about some of the purpose that angels have. Are they not all ministering spirits? They are spiritual beings, and their purpose is to minister. What does minister mean? It means to serve. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to who? They're sent to serve, to minister. There's their spirits. Who do they minister to? To those who will inherit salvation. So they are to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Angels in Scripture, the, the, I see their purposes being various things. They are to worship God. They are to worship God. They are to relay messages from God. They are to bring protection. Protection. And they are also to enact provision. Provision is tied to the spirit realm. There are angels that, that, that do things in the realm of the spirit that, that make it possible to be you, to, to, for you to be provided for. Angels came and ministered to Jesus after he was tempted by that serpent and said, you know what, devil, I'm going to wait until I turn you into a pair of boots. Thanks, but no thanks for your offers. I got something better for you. You just wait till three days after you think you won. You wait till the day of Pentecost. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that old chicken man, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit and start preaching. <laughs> they enact provision. These angels came and ministered to Jesus. I think they brought him a snack. They worshipped him. They probably fell down. and you know, They, they worshipped him when he was a baby. They, they were worshipping him here in the wilderness. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. Don't drift away. Don't get off track. Some people think that Hebrews was written by Paul. Some people aren't so sure. This is kind of a common... Thing that Paul would preach. Don't get off track. Don't get stuck in legalism. Don't go back to that. It's all about Jesus. This is so much better. Jesus makes everything better. Hebrews 2, verse 1. Don't drift away. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the words spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Don't neglect what Jesus has done for us. Keep looking at him. Keep looking at the finished work. Keep looking at what he did for you at the cross. Look at what he did on that cross. Look at his death, burial, and resurrection. Don't forget about the power of God. Don't neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. 
and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. I love this. God also bearing witness. Man, I love it when God bears witness to the word that is being preached. God always bears witness to the true gospel. God bears witness to, to the true message of Jesus. God bears witness to the Bible being preached in its full power, in its full strength. Don't try to dilute the gospel. Don't try to dilute Jesus. Don't try to suck the calories out of the... I was just thinking about this. With signs, God will bear witness with signs, with wonders, with various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. It is God's will for him to to demonstrate his power, for him to demonstrate salvation and healing and deliverance and a move of the Holy Spirit. Why are so many churches powerless today? It's because they have drifted away from Jesus. They have drifted away from his word. The power of God will be there when Jesus is on full display, when he is at the center of it all, when his word takes its proper place, when it's not about your thoughts, about your plans, about your ideas. It's about the truth. If the Bible says it, that settles it, period. The power of God will be there for salvation, for healing, for freedom, for deliverance, for growth, for the fruit of the Holy Spirit, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for joy in the Holy Ghost. God wants to bear witness. Jesus needs to take his proper place. Right now, our our church is developing a children's curriculum. The the body of Christ has missed it major in some major, major ways. There has not been a good children's curriculum written in English for the past 20 years. Every single ministry that has promoted curriculum, made it in a big way, tries to leave out the power of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have a, one of the top curriculum writers in, in the nation that comes to church here, and she's writing this for us. You know, what, what has happened to this generation for the past 20 years? You can see the fruit. A watered-down, diluted, mamby-pamby Jesus That, 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 is, that, is, that is not it. God is going to back things up. He's going to back up the true gospel. He's going to back up Jesus. He's going to bear witness with signs, wonders, various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Maybe some people don't have a will to, to minister or to, to care about the power of God or the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, your will goes against God's will. That's his will. Verse five, for he has not put the world to to come 
of which we speak in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, hello, this is from Psalm 8. This is later on in that psalm. I quoted the first part of it, Psalm 8, verse 1 and 2, speaking about the excellency of his name. Now going on in Psalm 8, this is um, verses 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man? This is, the, this is a, a term used for the Messiah, a term used for Jesus, uh, the son of man that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. That's saying, God, you you are making the Messiah, you are making the Son of Man a little, you, you are making him in flesh and blood. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection, I was under his Feet. All things are in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. There is nothing that is not put under him. Even when he was made a little lower than the angels, when he was made in flesh and blood, everything was put under him. And he goes on and says, but now we do not yet even see all things that were put under him. We can't even imagine everything that has been put under him. But we see Jesus. I like that. You don't have to worry about everything that's put under. There's a lot of things that are going under. But just keep looking at Jesus. But we see Jesus. This is my last point tonight. Keep looking to Jesus. We see Jesus. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering. This is why he was made lower than the angels, made given a, a human body that would, that would get hungry, that would get tired, that would need a break, that would need some alone time away from, from people. For the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. This is why he was made lower than the angels. This is why he was given a flesh and blood body so that he could taste death for everyone. He could taste something that we don't have to taste. He took, he took the penalty of sin. He tasted that cup for us. We don't have to, to bear the weight of our sin. We don't have to bear the penalty of sin. We don't have to bear death like we would apart from Jesus. The, the, these bodies will, will, will be rolled up like a cloak, like something that's gone out of style. And you'll, you'll be given something that's in style for all eternity. You'll be able to taste something that tastes very good. <laughs> Jesus tasted death so that you could taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 10, it was fitting for him for whom all things and by whom are, are all things in bringing many sons to glory. To make, I love this, the captain of their salvation. The ca say, the captain of their salvation. The captain of their salvation. The cat, I love that term, captain. My, my son Fisher for a while has been obsessed with the Titanic. He can tell you any fact about the Titanic. The exact year it was made, the exact square footage, the, the name of the captain, the, you know, the, the captain of the, you know, a captain stays with the ship. 
If the ship goes down, the captain goes down. The captain of the Titanic stayed with the ship. He went down with it. Our captain did not go down. Our captain did not sink. Our captain did not die. Our captain is unsinkable. Therefore, our ship, the ship of salvation, is unsinkable. The hope that we have for everlasting, eternal life is not going to fade. Jesus is unsinkable. Muhammad was sunk. Buddha was sunk. Joseph Smith was sunk. Brigham Young was sunk. Karl Marx was sunk. But Jesus is unsinkable. His ship is unsinkable. The promise of eternal life, the promise of salvation is unsinkable. He is the captain of our salvation. Verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified. I love this. He's the one who sanctifies, and we are the ones who are being sanctified. We are all one. We are all on that ship together. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He's not ashamed to call you brother, to call you sister. I'm not ashamed to call you brother, to call you sister. Say, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. And I love, I love Hebrews. He's just quoting the Old Testament left and right all over. You can see Jesus all over the Old Testament. Verse 14, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. This is going on to explain why he, he became a man. Why did God want his only begotten son? Why did he want to be born as a baby? I like to think about big lofty things, and this just warps my mind all the time. Thinking about God in human form, dealing with human emotions, dealing with human hunger, human desires, human limits. You know, I, I don't think, even, even Jesus' intellect as a man, he had to learn. He had to learn how to speak. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to do math. He had to learn how to build a chair. You know, if we saw Jesus in the flesh, you know, this is just a hypothetical question for you. Do you think he was good at calculus? He, he might not have even known about calculus yet. He was, he was God. He was all, all sovereign, all powerful. He was Lord, but he was also fully man. If you handed him, you know, your hardest math problem that you had in high school, I don't know if he would have done it for you. He was, he was fully human. I guess he could ask the father and turn your paper into wine or something. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he was incredibly human. 
was a partaker of flesh and blood. He himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. I like that he names the devil. I'm not scared of the devil. I'm not scared of death. I'm not. Jesus, through death, destroyed him. Jesus was, was conquering the devil left and right, left and right, left and right, healing people, destroying the, the works of the devil. I, he said, this is my purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. He was just going around destroying the works of the devil, and then when he, when he died, when he went down to the gates of hell, he came up, he, and he just completely destroyed the devil. Verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You don't have to worry about your ship being sunk. Salvation is is a sure thing. Verse 16, for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Jesus wasn't sent to just help out angels. He was sent here for us. He was sent to help the seed of Abraham, people who are people of faith. Verse 17, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brother. In all things. You can, you can go home and debate whether you know, Jesus was good at calculus or not. Or whether he knew how to do a derivative even though you know, Newton hadn't invented derivatives yet. And you can hypo- That's a great hypothetical the theological debate you can have amongst yourselves at home. I think he was like us in all things. I think growing up at school in Nazareth that he might have gotten a B. There might have been someone better at math. I think he was really good at the Torah, though. It says when he was a teenager, he would argue with the experts of the professors of the Torah and put, put him to shame. So he. <laughs> Therefore, in all things, he had to be like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Say merciful, merciful. and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation, it's, it's a fancy word for payment. He made the ultimate payment for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted. He, he, he was just like us. He got hungry, he got tired, he got frustrated. He got irritated at easily offensive people, offendable people. Martha, Martha, hush it. Peter, get behind me, Satan. He suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. He's able to help us because he knows exactly the way you feel. Whatever difficulty, whatever struggle, whatever hardship, whatever There is nothing that he can't help. There is nothing that he can't empathize with. 
He, he cares. Even on the cross, he cared. He was looking at his mama. He knows the feeling of, of, of a, a child towards its, their mother. He was caring about his mama, saying, take care of her. Someone look out for her. Keep looking to Jesus, amen? He makes everything better. Keep drawing closer to him and everything, I guarantee, will get better. Your path is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until the perfect day, which is when you see Jesus face to face. That is the perfect day. Amen? Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.